Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> Amen. It's great to be here this morning, yeah? Amen? Amen. Are we all awake? Yeah. <laughs> no, praise God. If I can echo just what Jimmy was saying there about this auto and um, going over on missions, myself and Vicky and the kids are, are just back from Belarus. And I have to say, it's my first time going over there. It's Vicky's 15th time or something going over there. But uh, for perspective, you know, there's no better thing. You know, sometimes we think we have a tough, and in some cases we do have a tough, and things are tough. There's no denying it. But when you just drop into other people's lives just for a week or so, and you see uh, exactly what tough is, and then uh, it kind of brings a lot of stuff back into perspective for you. And kind of helps me anyway to kind of see things differently and see how blessed I am in life, really. You know, um, <clears throat> uh, we worked in an orphanage for a week and uh, we were shown, I was shown pictures of when Pashti first went over there, which is the missionary group that goes over there, uh, you know, of the condition of the orphanage that it was in 15 years ago. And I thought it was in bad condition now. You know, and uh, just to see what these kids were living in, outside toilets and stuff like that, and just to see the work that's gone on there. But, um, you know, and it's tremendous to see then older guys that came. You know, uh, there's a guy that came to our house, Albert. He came to stay with us for a week or so, a few years back, and this kid was really troubled kid, you know. He jumped jumping out top windows and stuff like that, and just, just haywire kid. But just to see him coming along, and <clears throat> he's, he's 18 or 19 now, and he's walking away there, and he's going to, just to see the Im- impact in his life, that just a positivity. You know, someone's preaching the word of God, or, 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 or Jesus with bones on, as they say nowadays, that love can inspire other people to, to be different. And it, it, it has an impact. A week of result, or whatever it is, two weeks, I think it is, not too sure, is it two weeks? Massive impact on your own life but also on the lives of others. So I'd encourage everybody, if it's on your heart to go to Lesotho or, or missions trips, please do it. Get involved. Do something. Uh, speak to someone about it because it's, it's life-changing. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Pastor Noel's up in Derry this morning preaching, so we want to keep him in prayer. He's up there uh, preaching the Word of God and I hope he's okay. <laughs> Everything should be okay. Uh, once you go over that border, uh, we, we pray a bit different. But, um, you know... <laughs> Pastor Noel's up there, and praise God, and it's great to get connections up in Derry, um, and hopefully he brings the team back down here. Last week we had Green Pastures with us. How many was blessed last week with the worship and stuff like that? They destroyed my drunkie, by the way. Uh, and I'm having words with Naomi. This guy took the drunkie apart in ways that I never knew drunkies can be taken apart. So most of the morning I'm putting it back together, but, but we were, I was blessed by them. Um, uh, they just came down to worship with us and to bless us with their, with their gifts. But also, Mark, hands up, he was blessed with his preaching last week. Amazing time. Um, especially with the gorilla suit joke. <laughs> it was great, you know. Just to hear someone coming with a different perspective. But what I got from it, um, what Pastor Mark was saying was, exactly, and we need to hear this, guys, exactly what God has been saying to us over the last year or so. Now, this is a guy that's dropped in from nowhere, and I'm sure that Noel didn't coach or anything like that, because... Guys like this don't take coaching. They speak from the heart and what they want to say. Don't, you know, people don't tell them what to say. But this guy who spoke, I believe, exactly what God is saying to us over the last year or so. That it's not about what we can do for God. 
It's about what God has done for us. And if we turn that on, on its head, it's not about how good we are. It's about how good He is. And once we get that, there's tremendous freedom in it. That it's not about performance. I, till someone takes me out of this church in a box, I will continually preach against performance-related religiosity. I will, I will fight a tooth and nail because it, it's so demoralizing to the, to, the, to the Christian where we think every day that we get up that I, I must get God to love me today. That my, my job now is that, that God will look on me with favor. That God will be impressed with me today. And that my main motivation in my relationship with God is that I hope at the end of it that I have his favor. Can I tell you that that's a lie from the pit of hell? Think about it. They said to Jesus, they were talking to Jesus, and Jesus says, all of you men around and all you people around know how to give good gifts to your own children. In other words, if one child asks for a snake or a cake of bread, you don't give him a snake. And if one child, one child asks for an egg, you don't give him a scorpion. You know good what to give him. The good gifts. And then he said something very, very profound. And you who are evil know this. How much more are your father in heaven? So, it's, so what is he saying? He's saying it's like if I have my two sons or my daughter and my two sons, what an affront to me for my kids to turn around and say to me, Dad, you love me. Think about it. Imagine your kid coming to you and asking you, Dad, do you love me? I would find that it's like a, a knife in my heart. Of course I love you. To the depths of the core of my being, I love you. Of course I love you. There's no question about it. And it's the same thing with our Father in heaven. If we keep on saying to him every day, do you love me now? Can you imagine what that's like to him? Of course he loves us. Of course he loves us. I'm going to get into that. It's, it's that. Just find it very hard to move away from that stuff. But praise God. Listen, we're going to go back into Psalm 11. We're on Psalm. Someone said Psalm 10 got skipped. I don't know what about that. I'm on Psalm 11. <laughs> You'll have to have words and know to go back to Psalm 10. Just to do with me, you know. I, I'm just work here. So we're on, we're on Psalm 11. And I'm going to read the Psalm. And then we're going to do a bit of bit of searching and a bit of drilling down as you say nowadays in modern you know business speak we'll drill down into this word is that okay so here it goes psalm 11 don't know if you can get a rough kid uh psalm 11 okay in the lord i take refuge how then can you say to me flee like a bird to your mountain for look the wicked bend their bows they set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart when the foundations are, beyond, are being destroyed. What can the righteous do? The Lord in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes the sons of men. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous. But the wicked and those who love violence, his soul hates. On the wicked he will rain forty coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. Upright men will see his face. And <clears throat> we're given a picture here. If I just give you some kind of background into David's life before I go into this. 
David, when you, when, you, when you read and study about David in First and Second Samuel and Kings, go, go, go back and study his life because David's life is a type of Christ, if you like, or a type of Christianity. If you think about it, David came from nowhere. Uh, Samuel came to, God said, I'm going I'm to anoint the king. He says, go to Jesse's home. And Jesse had eight sons and David was the eighth. And he went in and, Je- and Samuel went in to, to, to anoint the new king because God had rejected the previous king or the existing king Saul. And he went in and he seen the sons of Jesse and they were fine young men. And they were broad shouldered and handsome and all that kind of stuff. And Samuel said, surely this is him. And right down all the sons, it wasn't. And, and Samuel said, is there any more? And again, if you think about it, the type of Christianity that God came and he took us from nowhere. We had nothing to offer. There was nothing in us that appealed, that can appeal to humankind. But God went and he went out to the feast and said, go and get him. And think about it in your own life. Where were you when God called you? At what place were you at? Who, we, like, I know this is terrible to say, and there is a lot of testimonies, and I think they're the greatest testimonies, but nine times out of ten when you hear a testimony, it's always when you're at your lowest point that God reaches in. And there's something about that. And David was the forgotten about son. If you think about rejection, I mean, I was over in, in Belarus, and there's a lot of forgotten about sons over there. You know, there's a lot of them forgotten about and put into this place and we'll see you when you're right in. And he was the forgotten about son. And, 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 but God says, no, go get him. And when David appeared, the Bible says that he was ruddy in appearance. In other words, he was sunburnt. He was out in the fields. He was a man of the fields. He was only a child. Some say he was 13 years of age. But yet God had a plan for his life. Now, when you, when you hear me saying God has a plan for his life, and I'm not saying that he's a type of Christian, then you need to bounce that back into your life. God has a plan for my life. Every time you hear someone coming to a bullpen and preaching, they're preaching to you through the word. So this is about you. God had a plan for David's life. Okay, God has a plan for your life. For all our lives. I remember when I, when I became a Christian, <clears throat> and we're talking about grace, and we're talking about the love of God, and we're talking about that God loves us. God came to me and searched me out. If you look up in the hills, go and get him. He got, he got this young man that didn't want nothing to do with him. That in some ways hated him. That in some ways was so, was so anti-religion that it was a, a joke to think that God would have any interest in me. But he did. He has. Why? Because it's not about me. Boom. It's not about me. I had no, there's nothing to attract me to God other than God's love for me. And David's life was a type of Christianity. It is a type of Christianity where God takes us out of obscurity, takes us out of the nowhere, takes us out of the rejection place, takes us out of the, the hopeless place, the, the, the thrown away place that you're only good enough to mind the sheep. Can you imagine the father presenting all his sons to the prophet and left one out? Imagine hearing that. Oh, David, come. The prophet has come to see all your, all your brothers, but they want to see you now. Imagine how you feel after that. I'm the last one. Yeah, get in there. You'll be in in a second. 
But as soon as Samuel seen him, boom, there he is. Because God told him, that's him. But God, he's not six foot two and handsome like Eddie. He hasn't got, he hasn't got, he hasn't got a big head of hair. He, he, he doesn't look like he can throw a spear. He doesn't look like Eddie there. Doesn't matter. Because I know his heart. Amen. I know his heart. And I know the potential that's in there. And so, David was this man, and God got a hold of David. And, I, and, and when we become Christians, guys, sack same in David's life. <clears throat> when you give your life to God, and you give your life out to God in them places, in the low places, or in the broken places, or in the places where you don't think you have any, any part to play in this, that God comes and says, no, hold on, I want to make a difference in your life. I, am, I love you. That was the most convincing thing. A, guy's, a minister said to me one day, because I couldn't get the Christian side of life, I, I came up, I was brought up in this kind of Catholic, weird kind of, and all this Catholicism is weird. It's a strange, it's different than any other Catholicism in the world. All this Catholicism is unique to Ireland. And it is weird, and I can say that because I was a Catholic, and I can say that. And no one can come against me and not say it. So you can see in all or whoever, Jimmy, who's in charge? Jimmy, see Jimmy later on. But Irish Catholicism is weird. And I grew up in this weird kind of go to mass and listen to this guy, it always sounded like he was miles away. And you're standing there. And my father used to go to mass. We were talking to Jimmy earlier on. He used to go to mass, but not go into mass. What was that all about? So he'd stand at the back door. So I used to say as a kid, I was always asking questions as a kid, Dad, why did he come here? He don't go in. So I don't, if I go in, I have to get communion. So I don't go in. But why did he come along? There's a little kid looking at him, he's shroop, shroop, because he couldn't answer the questions. And this weird type of Catholicism, where you had to have this appearance of holiness, or this kind of, and it was so out there, and for me personally, and unreachable, that when these Christians came and told me that God loved me and, and God had a plan for me and took me from the hillside and took this broken young man, it took me a long time to understand that, is this for me? Can I have this? Can I partake in this? Because I felt I was unworthy and unholy and all that kind of stuff. And I was only when a man came and said to me, now hold on, it's not you, Ed. It's God saving you. You can't save yourself. You can't be holy. You can't make it. Only he can make it. And one day the penny dropped and I said to myself, I can't be a Christian. And I put my hand up. That was when I put my hand up. I want to be a Christian because I knew now I can be a Christian because it's not about me. It's about what God is doing for me. And I spent years and years going into these Catholic churches and I didn't, no one ever told me that. All I heard was, from miles away. But, once I only had to take a man 10 minutes to explain this to me and then I got it. Isn't that weird? Irish Catholicism is weird. It's strange. Why was I going to these places for all these years and I didn't know this stuff? But anyway, when we become a Christian, as David got anointed as king, things started to change in David's life. Things started to change when we become Christians in our lives. We step into a whole new realm, guys. And I, we have to try and understand that this morning. 
that when we become a Christian, we're not these normal people anymore. We step from one realm, which is the realm of ignorance, which is the realm where we don't know anything, which is the realm where uh, our enemy, Satan, has no issue with us and has no problem with us. And all of a sudden we stick our hands up and we make a confession, we step into this realm and all of a sudden there's a lot of people and a lot of things and a lot of forces that have a problem with us. I can hold my hands up to the whole heartedly because as soon as I became a Christian, things changed in my life. I came from a place where I brought the eye out of your head and then come back for your eyebrow. <laughs> to, to this place where I took a pen out of an office and I was halfway down the corridor and I was running back saying, look, I'm about to take my pen, I'm so sorry. <laughs> because there was the forces at work. There was this new spirit inside me that was checking me and bringing me into a place of righteousness and saying, Eddie, let me direct you. Let me be a guide. This loving force that was guiding me like a loving father into the, into the paths of righteousness and leading me away from the selfish place, from the place of death where it was all it was about me, me, me and no one else into this place where I could can consider other people's feelings even. That I could speak, that I could talk, that I could... For years and years I couldn't look men in the eye. But now that God had taken all this guilt and shame, I could look people in the eye and have a, a, a conversation with people without this guilt and shame that's smothering me out. And when we become Christians, guys, let me tell you, we step from one realm into another. And it's the exact same in David's life. He, 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 he became king, if you like, in secret. And Samuel anointed him king, and it was, that was punishable by death in Samuel's place to anoint him king, because it was already a king. And so David became king, and he knew this in his heart, and he went back to the fields and all that kind of stuff. But all of a sudden, Saul came into his life, the existing king, and he was jealous of him. And he started to persecute him. That this poor kid, one day he's out in the mountains and the only problems he has is looking after sheep and now the king is after him. Do you understand that? What a change in the young man's life. The king is after him. But not only is the king after him, he's going in and he's cutting the head off a nine foot man. <laughs> and he's walking into the, to the camp, young lad with a head that's the stories of four basketballs. Look where I go. Do you want to see where he's moved from? And it's the exact same in the Christian life. We move from a place of doing nothing into the place of victory, but also into the place of battle, where there's things that come against us. And Saul had come against David. And David didn't know what to do. And he had these people advising him, you see. If you look at it in Saul there in Psalm 11. And he said to David, because this psalm was written at the time when Saul was persecuting him. And David had to flee for his life. And they said to him, his friends all about him, uh, go to the mountains, flee. Because they're, they're after you. And they're going to get you. Flee. And David was... He was confused by this because he understood that God loved him. 
And he understood the power of God and he, he, he was conflicted by this. And guys, it's the exact same thing in our lives. When we first come into a Christian walk, I remember walking in it a while, things come against us. Uh, There's a massive agenda. I don't know if we get this. I, I, I listen to the radio, I watch the telly, I listen to the news. There's a massive agenda out there that the, the new name for it is called, it's called faithophobia, where people are against people that have faith. That they're literally opposed to... If you go on the radio, or if you read anything, or if you read the newspaper and you have faith, you're automatically you're, you're seen as a backward uh, person that's caught in a time warp. And you have no place, really. And listen to this, guys. Please listen to this. You have no place in our society. Isn't that terrible? That people just... The minute we say, yeah, we believe in God, instantly you're put to the back of the queue. Weirdo. And it's getting to a serious point now where you're not listened to. That you're not, you're, your points aren't valued. That you're persecuted and laughed at. I was listening to a radio show, I won't say which show it was, but a, a, a guy, <coughs> he, he wrote in about an issue that they were talking about. And he put his point of view in and it was a faith point of view. Well, I believe God. And the three people on the panel that were listening to his comment giggled and smirked and laughed and completely dismissed what he had to say and moved on to the next point in a joking way. Guys, that's us. Anybody that's in this room and confesses to be a Christian, that's us. They're laughing and sniggering at us. And when we say something like Satan, we're laughed out of the room. But Jesus was confronted by Satan. If you read the Gospels, who brought him and tempted him three times was a some figure of his imagination. Jesus had conversations with Satan. So, that, so what are we saying? That there's no Satan? Uh, is that what we're saying? Because the world is telling us that there's no Satan. There's no such thing. But hold on. Was Jesus talking to himself? Unfortunately, we have to believe that. That there is a Satan. That there is an enemy. That for some reason he's against us. And I can personally testify that there is. Now, when you had young Eddie out in the fields, whatever, and didn't know anything about God and lived in a place of ignorance, and if someone said to me, Satan is going to get you, ooh, I would have I been that person that laughed at you and get out of my face, your head case. I would have been that person. Of course I would have held my hand up. But when I became a Christian, and when I started to move with the things of God, all of a sudden... And things were coming against me. All these, and it wasn't parts of life. Things were coming, literally coming against me. Things were happening to me, and mysterious illnesses. And, and remember one night I was lying in bed, and uh, it's just no joke. I'm not, it's, not, it's no joke. I was lying in bed. Next minute, I, I just felt this something strangling me in the bed, and I couldn't break. I was wide awake. I couldn't break free from it. And I just... You have to imagine now, this is the guy that laughed at Satan and all of a sudden he's being choked in his bed. Jesus! Boom! Instantly gone. And I've had many experiences like that. That there is forces that come against us. The exact same way forces came against David and he, he was advised by his friends to flee to the mountains. Now, 
when we're young Christians, and, and, and I've, I, I, Christians of any age, and I've dealt with this, I, I worked in a Christian ministry for a long, long time, and I'll give you some examples of new people becoming Christians, and they're only Christians for a few months, and they get it, and they want God, and they put their hands up, and they've moved from that realm into that realm, and they're, they're in this enclosed community where it's very easy to be the fellow with the hand up. Now all of a sudden, they're going back to their family. <laughs> and their insecurities come into their lives where for them to be a hand up Christian that comes in here on a Sunday morning, they have to have the whole family that as well. And they're not, you know, so they go home and they go, uh, will you come with me to the to church? Uh, church, that we don't go. Oh no, it's part of the, you know, he's had to come with me. <laughs> because he thinks in his mind that something's going to happen when you come to church. Oh, you have to come with me, it's part of my recovery. And so all of a sudden, they come through that door and they bring four or five family members with them. And they're sitting there and they're the hand up guy. And it's very easy in an enclosed community. And all of a sudden, the music starts. A really handsome guy gets up and starts preaching about Satan and all that kind of stuff. And they keep their mouth stung. They don't say anything until they get home. And next minute he's laughed out of the house. This is true. It's a true story. He's ridiculed, laughed at, put down, told... Uh, and this is his family. This... Like... When I was growing up, I was like, my family weren't happy with me being this runaway teenager, runaway broken kid, you know, this black sheep, if you like. The family weren't happy with me. But then I became a Christian that wouldn't rob a penny out of an office, and they still weren't happy with me. They still weren't satisfied. Oh, I, I, I don't know which one I prefer. At least, at least that other one was a bit of cracking him, like, was a bit of laughing. And now look what we had to deal with. This is my own family. So these are the people that are going to flee to the mountains. Get away from them people. They're no good for you. They're, you know, get away from them people. You know, God's, God's not going to help you here. And there's no God or there's no Satan or there's nothing there. And guys, listen. This is... David is a type of Christian, if you like, if you're looking at that. And people, when we are Christians and we have given our lives to God, it's our decision. It's personal. We can't bring other people along with that. It belongs to us. It's our personal faith. It's our personal decision. I've seen many guys like that, many women, that have to have other people agree with them so they can move forward. And it never works. It never works. Satan will come against you if you look to your family and will discourage you and will get you to flee to the mountains to your own family, to your own loved ones. Like people that... Like, like I had a, there was a guy there and his, his girlfriend, his kids, his, his mother and father were pleading with this guy for years to get his life together. They were sending him here and sending him everywhere and pleading with him and putting thousands of euros into him and helping him and doing this. And all of a sudden, he, he's had to get, giving himself to the Lord and he's free. 
and he's, he's clean living and he's, he wants what's right and he's doing the right things and all of a sudden he's put into this setting where this family had previously done all this and the only thing they could do now was try and discourage him from being that person. Guys, do you understand what I'm saying to you? Even in your own family, Satan can move, can discourage you, can try and pull you away from any faith. But listen, we have hope. Because it says there, it says, it says, David thought, my foundations are being destroyed. Everything I believe in is being taken away. That's what he thought. And we can be brought into that place, guys, very, very quickly, where we think, my whole faith structure, everything that I had, everything that I'm holding on to, everything that I knew, David says, when, that I knew out in the fields, everything that was personal to me, that, that, it feels like it's falling apart on me, and I have nowhere to look. And he says, he says where does the, what can the righteous do? He cries out, what can I do? They're coming against me from every angle. This is not going to work. This is going to fall apart. But come here, guys. It goes back to the Lord. The Lord in his holy temple. The Lord in his heavenly throne. He observes the sons of men. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous. And he goes back to relationship. He goes back to his father. He knows his father sees him. He knows God's eyes are on him. He knows in his knower that God will never leave him nor forsake him. He knows in his deep inner being, and this is the difference from being in that position and being in that position, that God loves him despite everything that's going on, despite his weaknesses, despite his lack of faith, despite his, his, his mistrust in God, that God loves him. Guys, can I say that to you this morning? That no matter what you're going through, if you think the wheels are falling off, if you think that everything is going against you, if you think that there's no solid foundation to stand on, God loves you. That's the rock which you build your life on. That's the firm foundation. Jesus says the man who builds on sandy ground, the house will fall apart. But the man who builds on the rock, the house will stand. And the rock is that God loves you. He always loves you. He loved me when I was a wretch that didn't love anybody. He came and he reached into my darkness and the pit and pulled me over. I was unlovable. But he loved me. And his love doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today and forevermore. That his deep love never changes. That when you wake up tomorrow, that when you feel that we have to go into that thing in life and that thing in life, and it says here that the, the, the bows are bending in the darkness looking for me, that God loves me. And he will pull me through. And he says that the, his eyes are on me, he says. I'm, I'm nearly going to finish with this. I'll be finished in about a half an hour. He says, <laughs> and he says, and the wicked... He will rain fiery coals and burn and sulfur. Now listen, we have to understand that. I'm going to stay in this for a minute. That the wicked, what's the wicked? And what is wicked things? And we're saying, look, I was wicked. Wicked is, is, is a, a, a root word rebellion. And rebellious, of a rebellious nature. In other words, that anything that's, anything that's, that, that's of God, I'll go the other way. 
And there's almost a conscious thing about it. Anything that's worthwhile, I'll go the other way. Anything that, uh, that uh, will help anybody, I'll go the other way. And that's where that word, it's a root word of turning around and going the opposite way, uh, wickedness, rebellion. It, it has its roots in, 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 in word witchcraft. Okay? And when he says, I see the wicked, in other words, I see those who come against me when I have reached out my hand to them. And David's seen these men prosper in his kingdom. If you study the life of David, he's seen them in his own court, these godless men that were in the presence of God, but didn't want God. These godless Jews, these godless uh, people that, 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 that were... On, and Jesus encountered them as well, that on the outside had all their trappings of holiness, but they were in were wicked out. And when David seen these people prosper, God said to him, I know that they're... And when we see it in the context of our own world, I mean, see, we talking about the job that I'm in. And, and again, I can't judge anybody because I was that guy until God got me. But some of the conversations that I hear in my canteen, whew, you're talking about where are we going with this? Like, I, I just don't know where the world is going with some of the stuff that I'm hearing here. And I'm like, I need to get out of here. I can't even talk about sitting in the sea of mockers. Wow. And you're thinking to yourself, man, what is this world coming to? The values of this world. I mean, where I was 20 years ago to where it is now, oh my goodness. And we're thinking, is this going to get any better? Um, the last time I preached, I don't know if anyone can remember, I spoke about the epidemic of knife crime in the UK. Can anyone, anybody remember the epidemic of knife crime in the UK? Well, only a few days ago, there was a poor young fella ready to do his leaving cert next month same as my own son and he was stabbed to death up in Dunn's room for no reason gang of young lads stabbed this kid to death he had no part to play in anything and the, the previous after our previous they put another fellow in the hospital where his life was critical just a gang of youths we all hear about this trial that's going on uh, uh, with these two kids that murdered another kid and we think that things have changed. Just as much as it was in David's day, it's all around us. There's a value in this world, guys, that is so godless, it'll blow your mind. And we have to live in it, don't we? Hands up who has a full-time job, a part-time job. Hands up, vast majority of people in this world. Hands up who has a family that doesn't not Christians. Everybody. We have to live in it. We have to associate in it. We have to communicate in it. We have to have do our business in it. We have to do all that kind of stuff. And David's seeing this and he says, the, the wicked are all around me, prospering. Why was he saying that? Because he's tempted. And we study the psalm and study his life. David is tempted to be a part of this. To be one of them. Every time you read the Psalms and when David is in conflict, it's because he's been sucked into their world. And he knows that he finds it very hard not to get, be a part of what they're doing. Hello? Guys, don't be naive. 
for me, for you, don't be naive that the world will either try and suck us in or ridicule us. Two things. Your family, your workmates, whatever. I remember Noel telling the story, and I can relate to it, when he became a Christian, and he was being ridiculed the bits over in the flats over there. But, you know, and Noel will tell you this, and I know from my own life, you know what was the most sinister thing that was going on? And guys, don't be naive that it's not going on in your own life. Especially if you step from one world into another. You know what the most sinister thing was? That Noel's friends and people there about him tried to suck him back into the world to trip him up. Am I right, John? And then accuse him. Say, some Christian you are. Yeah? And that's exactly what David was tempted into doing and what will be tempted into their lives. That when the wicked are around, the eyes of God are on them and there is a place for them and there is a punishment that's going to happen to them, and that there is a lot that's going to be there for them. But remember, we're the righteous. Says, doesn't he say it there? For the Lord is righteous, and he loves justice. Upright men see his face. We're the upright. Jesus makes us upright. Not me, but Christ in me. He's my righteousness, not me. His blood covers a multitude of sins. All, all of my sins, all my sins, sins, S plural, every sin I've committed, every sin I'm going to commit, has all been forgiven. I am under the blood of Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for me. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. Not free from moment to moment, but free indeed. I am righteous. Even though I get it wrong every day. And you mightn't think that. <laughs> even though I get it wrong every day, and you mightn't think that. Even though I make mistakes, even though I get it badly wrong, I am righteous before God. When God sees me, he sees his son. Oh. When God sees me, he sees his son. He sees Jesus. He sees the price he paid. I am his and I'm going to, when I, at the blink of an eye, I'm going to be with him. Oh, there's no question about it. My name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I am saved. If I was to drop dead this minute, a bump. It's my hope. It's the firm foundation I stand on. I am loved by God, wanted by God, cherished by God. I am bought at a great price. And I am righteous and I will see his face. Because I have given my life to God and believed that he died and rose again on the third day. Hallelujah. It's the difference between this place and any other place in the city. That stuff is being preached. And that's what will change our lives. Can I just share two things which are not finished? God is not working in our lives before we ever knew him. I don't know whether you can anyone put their hands up and testify to that. Now the lads I've talked to, uh, Abraham... I think I shared a couple of stories about near-death experiences where how did I get out of that one? <laughs> I put my hand up to a few of them. How did I walk out of that car? How did I get out of that situation? And God is at work in our lives before we even know it. God is, is at work in it. He's busy preparing a time and a place where we can have the ability to go, yes, God. And I remember 
and it talks about wicked things. But I remember years and years and years ago, I was in a place called uh, Balbriggan. Has anyone ever, ever heard of a place called Balbriggan? Boy's Home, where Sunshine House. Does anyone remember that? Few people. Brilliant. Yeah, not me on here. Been, been something. You weren't there, were you? Uh, anyway, they used to take us away from the house in the States. You got a little blue card, and it was the St. Vincent de Paul. And you were brought over oh, to this mad place up in Balbriggan. Uh, us bray lads used to be put in with the lads from Mary's mansions and Joseph's mansions. Mixed in with all these people. And they were crazy. And we used to kill each other for a whole week. And you couldn't wait to get there the next year. <laughs> and you come home from a traumatised. And it was meant to be a holiday. Anyway. I remember being there one year. And it was a place. It was a mad place. And there was these two little twins, two little black twins. Um, and in them days, you're talking in the 1980s, we never could have seen black people, people from Africa, people from America. Very rare. Very, very rare. And the, there was these two little black twins. And can you imagine what they had to put up with for the whole week of all these inner city kids and bray kids that were crazy. And I remember, and I could never put my finger on this, what happened to me. But something happened to me that I had such a compassion for these two kids. Because I wasn't, wouldn't have been a guy that naturally would have compassion on anybody. I was looking after myself. But something happened to me the whole week, and I just wanted to protect them. And I used to sit beside them, and anyone go near them, leave them alone. And I used to say, and I used to say, Roy, you used to walk with me today and the two of them used to follow me around like two little ducks <laughs> and they'd come in behind me and they'd follow me around and they'd, we'd sit at the and, and I, used, I was only a small little fellow I get the head slapped on me but something made me protect these two little kids stand up for them and I didn't know what it was and then later on then I was in secondary school and this happened to me a few times but I just remember days when I was putting this word together later on then when I was in school, there was this little kid in school and he was a real sickly little guy and he was real pale and black eyes. And there was always something wrong with him and he was always up to like he was dead. But he got an awful time in the school. And again, something happened to me that I just wanted to protect him. And I used to go beside him make sure he had his lunch and I used to sit beside him and I used to stand up for him. And I used to ask him, do you want to go and watch the football I play for him? Now, he never went anywhere with me. He'd always reject me, no, leave me alone. But anybody that was, that was bullying him, I'd go over and I'd, I'd get into a fight over him. I didn't even know the guy. I was only a little fella. About five foot six foot or something like that at the time. <laughs> but uh, uh, there's no platform here. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I asked God, these, these two memories came into my mind this morning again. I said, God, God, what is that? And God said to me, Eddie, that was me giving you a glimpse all them years ago of my heart towards you. And I'm watching you. And I was watching you and I am watching you. And my eyes are on you. And I'm looking after you. And I've been looking after you all your life, kid. Since my mother died when I was five. And uh, I've been always watching you, he says. Looking after you, taking care of you. And when you were 25, I came in full force. I'm presenting myself to you. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Father, 
We bless you for who you are. Father, your eyes are on us. Always are on us. And the righteous would see your face. What a hope we have in the Lord. We will see your face, Father. And your eyes are on us, Lord. Our hope is in you, God. The author and perfecter of our faith. You who was doing a good work in us. You who knew us in our mother's womb. Who counted the hairs on our head. Who knew us intimately and watched us grow up. And knew there would be such a day. Father, you are intimately involved in our lives, Lord. You love us when we're unlovable. Father, I bless you. I worship you this morning. If the worship team want to come back, I think we play a song, maybe Simon's song, because I want to praise this meeting now. I want it to be a praise time that we can thank God, amen, for all these things. Let's bless God. Let's give him a, a clap offering. And we'll, we'll, we'll finish off with a time of worship, amen. Because I want to play the drums.